Hello and welcome to the Luxembourg History Podcast, brought to you by RTL Today. I'm Tom Tutton and I'm your host for our first series. Today we're going back to a time when Luxembourg was Dutch. We'll look at the lives of the three Grand Dukes of the Orange Nassau dynasty, explore how Luxembourg was governed in the 19th century and investigate the dramatic political crises of 1848 and 1856. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast. So as we've previously covered, the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg was created out of the Old Duchy in 1815 under Article 67 of the Congress of Vienna. It would be ruled by the sovereign of the United Kingdom of the Netherlands, which encompassed all of modern-day Belgium and the Netherlands. However, it was to be administered separately to the Netherlands because unlike them, the Grand Duchy was also included in the loose political grouping known as the German Confederation. This meant that the fortress town of Luxembourg was occupied by Prussian troops, a complicating factor which would have important consequences over the next 50 years. So who was the first Grand Duke of Luxembourg? Well, born in 1772, William I was the son of the last Stadtholder of the Dutch Republic, William V. He fought against the French Revolutionary Army from 1793 to 1795, but was forced to flee to Britain when the Dutch were defeated in 1795. William, like many of the monarchs of Europe, was in exile for around 20 years, fighting for various allied armies against the French. He finally returned to his country in November 1813, with Napoleon's armies in full retreat, and at the Congress of Vienna he was rewarded for his struggle against the French by being made the first king of the Netherlands, thus uniting the Low Countries for the first time since the Dutch Revolt in the 1500s. And on top of this, in exchange for some territories in Germany that were given to Prussia, he became the first Grand Duke of Luxembourg. He wouldn't be a very popular sovereign though. He showed his disdain for Luxembourg's independence immediately when in August 1815 he amalgamated all his territories by royal decree. Luxembourg thus became the 18th province of the Netherlands, which did not go down too well in the Grand Duchy. The big problem for Luxembourg was that it was cut off economically from both the states of Germany and France after 1815 due to high tariffs. It was thus heavily reliant on trade with the United Netherlands from which it was geographically quite separated. Now there were some efforts to integrate Luxembourg with the rest of the kingdom, as demonstrated by the completion of a road between Luxembourg and Marchand-Famen in 1827, and a project to dig a 263-kilometre-long canal between the Moselle and the Meuse rivers to facilitate the transportation of goods. But William showed little interest in the traditions and rights of his new territories. The Catholic, French and German-speaking Belgians and Luxembourgish were alienated by William's attempt to impose Dutch as the language of government, and by his obvious support for the Protestant Dutch Reformed Church. High taxes and a general economic crisis following the Napoleonic Wars led to a famine in Luxembourg in 1816, but William I did little to help. Only once in his entire reign did he set foot in the Grand Duchy, and he largely left the administration of Luxembourg to his cronies. The situation in the Low Countries was transformed by the Belgian Revolution of 1830, which we looked at in episode 1 of the Luxembourg History Podcast. The towns and villages of the Grand Duchy largely supported the Belgians, sending deputies to their new estates and waving Belgian flags, but they were not able to fully integrate due to the presence of Prussian troops in the fortress of Luxembourg. This meant that when the affair was settled by the 1839 Treaty of London, the Grand Duchy was partitioned, with its large French-speaking parts around the towns of Arlon, Neufchâteau and Bastogne becoming the Belgian province of Luxembourg. The Grand Duchy's independence was confirmed under this treaty, but it remained in a personal union with the King of the Netherlands. The highly conservative William I wanted nothing to do with the new state of affairs and abdicated in 1840, leaving Luxembourg in the hands of his son, the new king and Grand Duke, William II. William II was in many respects the complete opposite of his father. 
He was a very popular sovereign and is commemorated to this day with a statue of him on horseback on William II Square in Luxembourg City. Surprisingly, he would also later play an important role during the little-known events of the revolutions of 1848 in Luxembourg. But that was still in the future. With its administrative independence from the Netherlands confirmed, under William II Luxembourg set about creating its first modern administration. In 1841, the Grand Duke introduced the first ever constitution in Luxembourg known as the Charter of the Estates. It wasn't a great success, however. The Charter left sovereignty entirely in the hands of the Grand Duke, while the new Assembly of the Estates was virtually powerless and elected only by men over the age of 25 who paid 10 florins a year for the privilege, restricting the franchise to only around 3% of the population. This left the admittedly quite small bourgeoisie, the peasants, the artisans and the nascent working classes entirely outside the administration of the new state, and there was no freedom of the press or of association. Furthermore, economic problems continued to plague the Grand Duchy. In 1842, Luxembourg entered the Prussian-led Zollverein Customs Union, alleviating some of the worst economic problems that had haunted the Grand Duchy since its inception. But as industrialization had not yet set in, the economy remained primarily agricultural, and the Zollverein was not popular with the people. Overpopulation and bad harvest led to occasional famines in the Luxembourgish countryside, such as in 1839-1840 and 1842-1843, and the European-wide economic crisis of 1845-47 would have great consequences in the Grand Duchy. Between 1841 and 1846, the Great Potato Blight, which resulted in a famine in Ireland, caused the price of potatoes to triple in Luxembourg. A general downturn put many of the country's artisans and workers out of work, while punitive legislation such as an 1845 ban on using straw roofs for houses hit the poor particularly hard. Beset by economic problems and receiving no help from an elitist government, the Luxembourgish population was ready to revolt. Across the continent, similar social, economic and political problems caused discontent to rise among the European population, culminating in the madness of 1848, a year sometimes remembered as the springtime of the peoples. The first revolutionary event of the year actually took place in Sicily, but the real trigger was the February Revolution in Paris which overthrew King Louis-Philippe. As news of the French success spread, barricades then went up in most of the cities of Central Europe, while uprisings in Italy and Hungary led to the outbreak of nationalist wars against the Austrian Habsburgs. In Germany, the Frankfurt Parliament was set up with the intention of creating a unified German state, while dukes, princes and kings granted their citizens constitutions out of fear of socialist revolutions and one such panicky monarch was Grand Duke William II. When news of the February Revolution reached Luxembourg, it served as the trigger for popular unrest. Petitions, an ancient form of protest which had been banned under the Grand Duchy, soon began to flood the government in Luxembourg from across the country. Then, in Ettelbruck, a protest movement broke out in early March, during which cries of Vive la République and Merde pour les Prussiens were heard, while the Marseillaise was apparently also sung. The house of the mayor of Luxembourg, Fernand Pescatori, was attacked on March 16th, and various other disturbances occurred in towns across the Grand Duchy, including in Viltz, Esch-sur-Sur, Mersch and Echternach. Fearing the worst, and perhaps influenced by his father's terrible reaction to the Belgian Revolution, Grand Duke William II conceded to the protesters on March 20th, and a new constituent assembly was charged with creating a better constitution for the Grand Duchy. Meanwhile, liberty of the press was granted, with the Luxemburger Vort being formed on March 23, 1848. The Constituent Assembly then met in Ettelbrück on April 25th. By the end of June, they had written a new constitution that was accepted by the Grand Duke in July and came into force on August 1st. So was this a revolution in Luxembourg? 
Well, in the social sense, maybe not, as government troops were able to quell the protests without a single death. But politically, a revolution had indeed taken place. Luxembourg in effect became a constitutional monarchy overnight. The new constitution, modelled on the Belgian constitution of 1830, set far greater limits on the power of the Grand Duke, created a new unicameral chamber of deputies with legislative sovereignty and the power to vote on budgets, and set up an independent judiciary. This was a strongly liberal and progressive constitution for the time, even if the franchise was barely extended, with only 5% of the electorate eligible to vote. The foundation of the Luxembourgish government had thus been set, but it wouldn't last for long. Now, the expression coup d'etat usually brings to mind bloodthirsty generals like Napoleon or dodgy CIA-backed plots to overthrow legitimately elected governments like in Chile or Guatemala. It doesn't usually make you think of Luxembourg, until now. The death of the beloved William II led to a renewed constitutional crisis in the Grand Duchy, as his successor William III took the new Chamber of Deputies head-on, sparking the coup d'etat of 1856. So how did this happen? Well, in September 1848, elections for the new chamber were held, and in December, the first modern government of Luxembourg under the old Governor de la Fontaine was voted down after losing a vote of no confidence in the chamber. It was replaced by a new government under Jean-Jacques Villemar, a Luxembourgish lawyer who preoccupied himself with creating a new currency for the Grand Duchy. So far, so good. But then William II died suddenly, aged 56, in 1849. The new Grand Duke was William III. Like his grandfather, he was a reactionary, and he hated the reforms that his father had made the previous year in both the Netherlands and the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg. In fact, he hated them so much that he did not believe he could govern under these conditions, and actively considered relinquishing his claim to the throne to his brother or his son. In the end, he did succeed his father in 1849, and he immediately set about trying to reverse the constitutional shackles imposed on him. He appointed his brother Henry as governor of Luxembourg in 1850 and ordered him to resist any further attack on the sovereign's powers. A complicating factor for the Liberals in the chamber was that in 1851, as part of the continent-wide reversal of the achievements of 1848, the German Confederation mandated that all its member states should conform to its monarchist principles and abolish all laws and assemblies that contravened them. With Luxembourg still a member of the German Confederation, William III used the decree as justification for his authoritarian leanings. Against the wishes of the chamber, in 1853 William dismissed the Vilmar government and replaced it with a more favourable administration under Charles-Mathias Simon, signalling his determination to govern autocratically. The stage for a constitutional crisis had thus been set. For the next three years, furious disagreements erupted in the chamber over William's disrespect for the hard-won constitution. Matters came to a head in October 1856, when in a speech to the chamber, Prince Henry, the governor, announced that the constitution would be unilaterally revised. The Liberals reacted furiously, drafting an angry reply that was passed in the chamber by 31 votes to 15 and rejecting any proposals for a compromise. A month later, they withdrew from the chamber in protest at the government's behaviour, expecting the government to call for new elections. Instead, it simply declared the proposed reforms to have passed and the new constitution was signed by Grand Duke William on November 27, 1856. This was loudly denounced as a coup d'etat by the opposition but they were powerless to stop it. The 1856 constitution created the Council of State, an advisory body which still exists today, while reducing the chamber to an assembly of estates, without the power to vote on the budget or to compel the Grand Duke to do anything. It added a clause specifying that sovereignty resided in the person of the Grand Duke and modified the electoral system to further restrict participation. Perhaps most damagingly, the new constitution restricted the freedoms of the press and of association that had been protected in 1848. For the next 10 years, Luxembourg was ruled more or less as an absolutist monarchy by William III. 
as the assembly became the site of furious debates that would accomplish very little. And it would take until 1866 for the situation to change. In the wake of the dissolution of the German Confederation in 1866, the justification for authoritarian rule was broken. Then came the Luxembourg Crisis of 1867, in which William III agreed to sell Luxembourg to the French, drawing the ire of the Germans and nearly bringing Napoleon and Bismarck to war. This was averted when the Second Treaty of London guaranteed Luxembourg's independence and neutrality, but William III's readiness to sell the Grand Duchy was highly embarrassing, and to compensate for his sins, he signed a new constitution in 1868. The 1868 constitution restored the Chamber of Deputies' powers and reinstated many of the old liberties. In fact, it remains the supreme law of the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg to this day. The embittered William III would continue as monarch until 1890, but his influence was dramatically reduced, and Luxembourg acquired a stable parliamentary regime with long-serving prime ministers such as Emmanuel Surveys, Felix de Blochhausen and Paul Eichen, who oversaw the country's economic transformation through industrialization. In 1890, the personal union of the kingdom and the Grand Duchy came to an end when Wilhelmina succeeded her father in the Netherlands, while Salic law meant Adolf of Nassau became the new Grand Duke of Luxembourg. And thus, the Dutch influence in Luxembourg came to a gentle end. That's all we've got for today. Thank you for listening, and I will hope you'll join us for the next episode of the Luxembourg History Podcast. This episode was written, adapted, and hosted by Thomas Tutton. Produced by Martin Johnson and brought to you by RTL Today.